Hello and welcome back to another strange summer edition of Porcelain Peak, the strange and scary podcast that covers everything from horror to sci-fi and all the pagan stuff in between with a little mix. I am one of your hosts, Anthony, and as always, I am joined by the lovely, dapper John Brasher. How's it going, man? Oh, it's going pretty great, especially now. <laughs> I can hear you blushing. This is building up that ego. I'm like, I'm just wearing a tank top and shorts. It's hot. It is sweltering right now, my guy. Yes, we are in Central California, and it's not fun. And I think we're supposed to get 105 this week, so... Yeah, I'm all not about that. <laughs> Anyway, on this episode, we are going to continue talking about Stranger Things Season 3. Oh, yeah. And we're going to do Episodes 3 and 4. We're also going to give you guys a bit of news. We're going to keep it short again this week so that we can have room for all the content because we're going to be also covering the newest Ari Aster movie called Midsummer, I guess, or Midsummer, Which we will be referring to as Midsummer for the <laughs> remainder of the podcast. I'll probably and say Midsummer. In in <laughs> perpetuity. <laughs> and we're also going to do a bit of trivia, and then we will cap everything off with our watch list recommendations. So stay tuned for all that, because we got a fun, exciting episode coming up for you guys. All right, so before we jump into Midsummer and before we jump into Stranger Things episodes 3 and 4 from 3, we are going to hit you guys with some news. This is it, Jennifer. So a little piece from the sci-fi area is that Paul Rudd has now joined on to be a part of the new Ghostbusters movie that is expected next year. Looking into some of the horror genre of things, Apparently, Sam Raimi has been teasing around at all the big news outlets that he thinks he might have an idea to do something new in the Evil Dead franchise. Jumping back into a little piece of sci-fi, if you are a Netflix subscriber, which I'm sure many of you are because it's 2019, then you might have seen the trailer for their upcoming series called Another Life. So that one is coming out on the 25th, and it is is i'll just go ahead and read you the description here after a massive alien artifact lands on earth nico something leads an interstellar mission to track down its source and make first contact i am down to check it out apparently uh ariaster uh fitting for this is already talking about what hit what their next movie will look like apparently he's saying that this one could potentially be a nightmare comedy so I can definitely see, I mean, we'll talk about Midsummer and how it has some comedic moments in it, and that there were definitely moments where the entire theater was laughing out loud. We've been talking about this concept for over a year now, pretty much. That line between comedy and horror is very razor thin. And I don't want to get too much into it, but I feel like you see that kind of stuff even with kids' movies. Mm -hmm. Especially with the Toy Story franchise. There's yeah. definitely some horrific moments in, in the Toy Story movies. Especially, I think, like, with three, there's a scene where they're all going to get burned. Yeah. yeah that's terrifying. Yeah. Um, not to mention all the connections to The Shining that that series has. Mm -hmm. I think it changes your kind of mood, and then when you do get the scares or when you do get the laugh after one or the other, it enhances that to an extent, if done correctly. Midsummer may also be getting 
an NC-17 release. I don't know if that's going to be in theaters or if that's going to be something that we see on Blu-ray or whenever it goes to streaming services. Oh, apparently the uh, home invasion action thriller Becky that we were talking about like a few months ago, and it was supposed to have Simon Pegg as kind of the villain. Uh, that was the only reason why we noticed it was because Simon Pegg was on board and he was one of the names attached to it. And we're fans of Simon Pegg. I would say that I'm a, a pretty sizable fan of Simon Pegg. I like his work. I like his acting style. I think he's an interesting character. And I think that him playing more of a villainous role, I would be super down for that. Apparently, he's being replaced in his role by Kevin James. Tight. So go ahead and cross that off the watch list. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, yeah. So if you were planning on seeing Becky... Wait it out. Final piece of news we'll have. I don't know how horror or sci-fi related this is, but pop culture definitely. Rip Torn passed away. Oh, shit. Yeah, 88. The community will definitely miss him. R.I.P. Rip Torn. Well, thank you, John, for that news. That was fantastic. Mm-hmm. If there's anything that we missed, then definitely let us know so we can get on top of that for the next episode. That being said... Let's go ahead and jump into our next segment, which is going to be that trivia. Trivia. Here's how we play. I ask a question. If you get it right, Steve lives. Come on, it'll be fun. It's an easy category. Movie trivia. Give you a warm-up question. Okay, starting off, the first category is movie. In what scary extraterrestrial sci-fi movie does Private Hudson whine, Game over, man! Game over! I'm going to say Aliens. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And that was said by Bill Paxton. Uh, uh, what post-apocalyptic 1988 Japanese anime film features a character named Tetsuo Shima who gains telekinetic abilities? The Little Prince. It's definitely not The Little Prince. <laughs> Didn't that come out like three years ago? Yeah. Uh, it's Akira. That's the motorcycle one? I think so. I know what you're talking about. I guess I could have gotten that. Well, then let's move on with the one zip lead for John to the TV category. What sitcom featured Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari playing characters that dress as women so they can live in a women-only hotel? I... I'm vaguely aware that this thing exists, but I don't know what it's called. Like our title, it is alliterative, and the name is Bosom Buddies. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I said, I knew it existed. I knew that, that Hanks started his career on television. Dude, I never even heard of that. That's hilarious. Yeah. All right. Uh, here comes the 1-1 one, one tie. Uh, which Saturday morning cartoon was based on a popular book series and starred Grizzlies known as Mama, Papa, Brother and sister. The Berenstein Bears. Berenstein Bears. <laughs> I was about to say, it's spelled stain, but I'll give you Berenstein Bears. <laughs> That's the Mandela effect, bro. You were correct. We are tied 1-1 now, and we are going to move on to music. Which moody, eurythmic song proclaimed everybody's looking for something? Did we sing it to you? Yeah. <laughs> everybody's looking for something. Is it called Sweet Dreams? It is called Sweet Dreams, yes. Right. Sorry, I was working it out. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> it's because of my beautiful rendition. Take My Breath Away by Berlin is from the soundtrack of what movie? Oh. Top Gun. Oh, okay. Dirty Dancing or Mannequin? I want to say Dirty Dancing. 
It's Top Gun. Is it? It's the it's the dang because I was thinking dancing. I was thinking that one or Flash Dance. So mm-hmm. that that's uh, they tricked me. So apparently, it won the Academy Award for Best Original Song for Top Gun. Wow. Moving on with John in the lead with two to one, we are going to go into the famous people and events category. Here's your clue, John. What actress kickstarted the home workout craze with her first workout video in 1982? Uh, I don't think I know her first name. Is it Buttafuoco? It is not. It is Jane Fonda. Oh, uh, okay, okay, okay. Which Disney theme park opened in Florida in 1982? Tomorrowland. Uh, so it's the Epcot Center. Oh, okay. Yeah, so like the the most recent one that they've opened, I want to say, was in the 90s, and that was uh, Animal Kingdom. All right, with John still in the lead, we're going to go ahead and move on to Trends, Tech, and Fun. In 1981, which world-famous fashion icon wore a wedding dress designed by David and Elizabeth Emanuel? Is it Madonna? It is not. It is Princess Diana. Oh, I wouldn't have gotten that. Yeah, that's a toughie. That's something that's way outside of my wheelhouse. What What's the score right now currently? 2-1. 2-1 me? All right. Uh, what technology giant launched its first PC in 1981, giving the Apple II new competition? I want to say Windows. Uh, Windows. Oh, is a, Microsoft. It's a, uh, it is not Microsoft. Oh, okay. It's IBM. Ah, that was going to be my other guess. I was torn between the two. All right, man. If you get this, there's no chance I can beat you. And we are going into the Stranger Things category. Go ahead into the upside down. Yep, I'm going to go ahead and flip the card over so I can read the question about the answer. <laughs> In season one, when the boys play D&D, Lucas wants Will to throw a fireball while Dustin wants him to cast what kind of spell? Protect. Damn it! Yeah. <laughs> Protection spell. All right. Uh, which character was played by Australian actor Dacry Montgomery? Steve, Mike, or Billy? I think it's Billy. I, I don't even think I have to look at the card. I'm pretty sure it's Billy. Yes, it is Billy. All right, well, not a total shutout. Week two in a row of you catching the card. That's pretty impressive. Did I leave it on air last time? Yep, you did. Okay, so that is going to conclude our trivia segment. If you enjoyed that and you enjoyed the bit of news that we gave you, then go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of our episodes. And while you're at it, might be a good idea to check us out on PodCoin. So I'm going to shoot it over to John so he can tell you a little bit about what that does and what that'll get you from us. PodCoin is a place where you can go on iOS or Android. You can download it from both of their respective app downloading places. Basically, you get paid to listen to your favorite shows. It has every single show you could possibly think of. And you get paid a coin per every 10 minutes listened or for... A show like ours that is typically a bonus featured show, you get additional coins for listening to those shows. It's super easy. You just download the app, pick the podcast you want to listen to, and you're good to go from there. You can subscribe directly through the app, all that good stuff. If you use our download code PORCELAIN, you get 300 free coins uh, just for signing up for the app. So it's definitely worth checking out. It's the only way that we listen to podcasts here because he doesn't listen to podcasts at all. (laughs) (laughs) That's false. That's what you said the last week. I know. <laughs> it's canon. And you can use those pod coins, essentially, to purchase things like Amazon gift cards, Target gift cards, or even headphones. Yeah. Or what John has done sometimes is donate to charity. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. So 
even if you don't feel like, hey, I'm, I want a gift card to Amazon for five bucks or whatever, then send it to somebody else. Yeah, I'm, it's definitely something that I've done on multiple occasions now. Like I said, my my preferred place to donate is to feeding shelter animals. So again, that's Podcoin, and our code is Porcelain for some bonus coins. Yes. Let's go ahead and move on to the first course of our little meal here. And it is going to be a discussion on Midsummer. Uh, keeping up with the analogy that I, I created last week, I felt like this was very well cooked. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed this film. And it's not the kind of film where like necessarily your enjoyment is something that it's concerned with. Uh, this is very artsy. Super artsy. It's one of the most beautifully shot films I've seen in a long time. Uh, there's not like really any effects or anything like that. Everything is done on a practical scale for the most part. Uh, there's, I mean, there is some CG, but it's not something that's like going to jump out. Like you wouldn't be able to tell just as, just by watching it. And like I said, the way that it shot, the locales that it shot in, the use of color is just, it's gorgeous. And I think that part of that adds this connection to how gruesome some of the acts are and how tense some of those moments can feel. Uh, so we'll kind of kick it off in like the early stages of the movie. The ba basically the character that we're going to be following for the entirety of the time, Danny, and she is uh, a college student who is kind of trying to figure out what she wants to do with her life. And she is struggling to figure out what's going on with her sister. Uh, so her sister's been sending her messages, very cryptic messages, and her sister is professed by another character to be bipolar and is struggling kind of with going through that process. And so she's been sending these messages to Danny, and Danny has been receiving them and trying to respond back, but now she's gone radio silent on the other end. So she's trying to get a hold of them. She's calling the house, doing all these things, and then she gets a call uh, basically saying that her sister... Uh, rigged the house up uh, to car exhaust, blocked off all of the ventilation to the rooms, and basically killed herself and her parents. Uh, that scene, it, it basically kind of kicks off how fucked up things can be, like, right off the bat. We get to see her boyfriend Christian and all of his friends and how they kind of are all pieces of shit. Like, I mean, they they have almost no redeeming qualities. They're fun to follow and they're fun to watch, especially Mark. I think that Mark is very hysterical. Uh, but I also think that it's a it's one of those things where he's funny because he's that guy that everybody knows that nobody likes. See, I didn't have a problem, really. I thought it's just a nice bunch of dudes. I mean, I guess not nice, but just a regular batch of guys. I mean, we don't really know too much about them outside of their relationship with... Danny's boyfriend, Christian, right? And so the situation is a little bit hard because it seems like Christian has expressed to them wanting to be out of the relationship. Yeah. And so they're kind of encouraging him to get out if he doesn't want to be in it for the last year. You know what I mean? But I think that that's, like I said, that's a, that's a problem. I think that that's, that's problematic behavior. I think that stringing somebody along is not necessarily the way I would I would suggest to go about that, and all that does is hurt other people. Right, and, and they're telling him to get out, aren't they? Well, so they are. Yeah, which is fine, but they also are very. They seem to be rude in some some scenarios, but they also seem to be nice in other scenarios. 
I think that specifically the one who doesn't have a lot of redeeming qualities is Christian. They are talking about how they have this trip planned to go to Sweden and that she's going to get in the way and they don't like that. And they, you know, they get upset about it. And then she calls in and, and is crying on the phone because she just found out that all of her family is dead. Yeah. And they, and they show that, which is pretty intense. Yeah. The scene, the scene of them walking through, showing them like the first responders turning off the cars it following the tracks of the tubes connected to the exhaust into their rooms. And it's pretty creepy to see. It, it almost reminds me of the scene where in 28 Days Later where Jim goes back to his home and he finds out that his parents have taken the easy way out rather than getting infected. I felt that way up until you get to when they pan away from her parents and they follow the track back down to her sister's room. And that shit was pretty haunting. I mean, you just see her sitting in front of her computer with the messages open that are coming in from Danny and her eyes are just wide open and the hose is directly connected to her mouth. Definitely. I mean, obviously, if you are listening up to this point, you either don't care or you've seen the movie. Uh, but if you hadn't seen the movie, I would definitely say this is a this is a content warning. Like this is like if you have any any like drawback to any like suicidal thoughts in your life like some of this stuff might be scarring but it is also very artistically done and like i said it's done in a way where where it's meant to leave an impact and it's supposed to leave an impact on you so you understand what danny is going through and i think that it does that very well and it kind of sets up the whole movie because like well if that's how bad things are going to be to start off what's what's going to continue yeah where can this go and it kind of explains what happens with Danny later. And mm-hmm. we'll get into that. Right. So eventually they go to Sweden and the, the four guys are a little bit reluctant. One of them is from the village that they're going to is like William, mm-hmm. I guess if that's how you pronounce it, he's from there. So he's taking them and he runs into his brother at some point, And he's also brought people that he's met. So it seems like they're not the only people that are bringing friends back. And they're going during this time, or it's sunny all the time, right? Yeah, it's during it's during the summer solstice. So, like, they it's the longest days of the year for them. And because of the location they are on the planet, they get a couple of hours of nightfall. They go through that process on a couple of instances. So that when they arrive and they're walking around, they get out of the car and then they start taking psychotropic drugs, start taking mushrooms. Danny tries to, like skirt her way out of it she like doesn't she understands that she's in a in a headspace where that may not work out well for her and so she tries to avoid it and then christian tries to avoid it with her trying to like have some solidarity with her in his kind of lame half-ass way and then so the friends are like oh no no like you like we if you don't if you wait we want to go to we want to go on the trip together or whatever and so she finally uh, uh relents and and takes some of the drugs And during the process, somebody mentions family and you start to see where her trigger comes from. You know, as as soon as they mentioned family, she starts to see like images of her sister in like part of like the trip. And so she like instantly gets up and tries to avoid the situation. And the stuff that she goes through during that process causes her to pass out. And she passes out and she's only out for a couple of hours but during that time frame, night has fallen and they are now in the morning. And it's it's completely sunny and bright out just like it was when she fell asleep. So she thought she wasn't out for very long. But it's unsettling 
how light out it is. Because the like I said, because of what's going on and where you're taking them and what you know about the subject matter of the movie, it's tense. It's very tense. And the fact that it's just daylight out, it just it just weighs on you. It's completely different than anything else I've ever seen in my entire life. Like you don't have you don't have that level of tension that comes from light. It typically comes from darkness. And having that tension being attached to the light was something that I wasn't expecting and was like I said it was jarring. It wasn't it was very creepy. Right. And I I, I agree 100% on how you said it. it's unsettling because usually the light is our safety. So when we get typical horror movies, creepy stuff happens at night and then the daytime we can breathe a little bit for the most part. You know yeah. what I mean? That's not always true, but in general, that's how things go. And this movie takes place primarily in sunshine. And so that's, yeah, like you said, it's jarring. And so you're kind of unnerved, unnerved the whole time. Like, okay, what's happening? There's no safe spot. Anything can happen at any moment. And not a ton does. So they get to this village and then, you know, weird stuff starts to ensue slowly. The groups drop off one by one. And then we get this like big finale. So we'll talk a little bit more about the finale, but let's talk about just some of the crazy shit that happens. Yeah. So at some point, these two people, when they get to a certain age, I guess is the common practice in the village. I think it's 75. Uh, 72. 72. They have to die. Yeah. They, they commit suicide. Voluntarily though. They choose to commit suicide to not be a burden on their community. And they, uh, one thing this movie definitely does is it, it chews on things. You don't get the turn away. You don't get shortcuts. You get like, you see it all. You see the process of the characters having to like weigh out their options and their decisions and watching these things unfold. Yeah. And so we watched this old lady jump off a cliff and land on a rock, hits her face. They show her face like yeah, bust open. Completely sp- splayed out. And then you think, all right, how can it get worse than that? <laughs> So the old man jumps off and completely like desleeves his leg, but doesn't die. And so there's a guy standing in the crowd and they, sh- you, sh- you see the hammer right off the bat before anybody jumps or anything like that. So I was like, as soon as I saw the hammer, I was like, Ooh, some gruesome shit's about to happen. And so they walk up in a line of younger people and they take turns smashing this guy's face in until he's dead. And Continuing after after, yeah. after he's dead, and that shit was gruesome. And you see all Everything. of it. Yeah. yeah, they do not pull away. They do not cut away. And that's definitely something that you can say. Like I said, is it's artistic, but it's also disgusting. And you're like, ooh, that was crazy. And if your fans like John and I are, you're like, damn, cool. Yeah, to an extent. And then it keeps going. You're like, fuck. It's it's meant to weigh on you. Yeah. Like I said it's meant to be something that 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 builds that pit in your stomach. And I feel like they continue through that thread constantly through the way that they do things. Um, One cool thing that the movie also does is that there's drawings everywhere. Mm -hmm. So there's drawings hanging on just clotheslines, it seems like. And there's drawings all over these buildings. And a lot of the times those drawings will come up later. So it's drawings of rituals almost. Yes. And so at one point there's a, a, like a lithograph or whatever of a woman trying to get a man to fall in love with her by cutting off her pubes and putting it in food and putting it in food and then using her menstrual blood in his drink. And then they don't exclusively say it happens, but a guy finds a pube in his pie, which isn't in one of the times that the comedy popped up mm-hmm. when was a Mark was like, was that a hair pie? Yeah. 
And then they also like show him go to like try to wash it out of his mouth, and he goes to take a drink of his drink, which is a significantly darker color than yeah. everyone else's drinks. So everyone has like yellow drinks, and his is slightly pinkish. It's more, it's more like an like an orange pink. Like yeah. it's, it's like I said, it's definitely had something of the red <laughs> color family in it. So that's pretty gross, yeah. and even just the implication is gnarly. But so after after the people kill themselves, we do get a lot more tension from the people outside the village. And during this whole time, Danny's character is kind of getting coaxed into being a more of a participant in everything. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that they're leading up to the whole movie is the May the May Queen the May Queen, and it's this big dance competition essentially. And the last person standing is is crowned the queen. And so the queen goes around and does. Uh, like blesses their crops and also gets to choose a sacrifice later down the line. And that's basically the finale of the film. But during the time frame of them choosing the May Queen, they have everything set up and they, um, they go through this whole dance competition. And in order to try to avoid looking into what's going on, they try to get Danny involved because at this point we've lost several characters. Um, we found out that, their entire lore and the way that everything is set up and the way that they like appease their gods and everything is all written by uh, handicapped people. So they have these handicapped people that are born of incest. Intentionally. Intentionally born of incest that basically point their, their tribe in the right direction. So they have these things that are drawn in by Cran and these huge books. And Josh and Christian are both trying to pick thesis for their doctorate. And Josh has been like leading up to using this place as his thesis for a while. And Christian decides that he wants to use this place too, because he's definitely more aloof. He is the one who, who like is very indecisive about things. Like I said, a lot of his character qualities are meant to make you not like him. The fact that, that Josh had this thing planned out was a, a point of tension and frustration. And it was definitely something like so where it built tension between the two of them. And so Josh decides that he's going to try to steal photographs of this book. And he's not supposed to do that. He's been told explicitly by them. And they are very, very particular about their rituals. We get to see with Mark, well, Poltier's character, we get to see him almost attacked by villagers because he pees on their ancestral tree, not realizing what it is. Because he's the one who who isn't really a student anymore, isn't really caring or paying any attention to things. He's mostly the com- like the comedic relief, and so he disappears with a woman and never comes back. Uh, and then uh, we see as Josh is trying to get photos of this stuff, he's attacked by someone who has a cut off of Mark's face covering his face, and he comes and he just like bashes his brains in until he's dead too, Leatherface style. Yeah. Uh, we also have other characters who are slipped away and take and like taken away in weird, uh, weird ways, and it kind of adds tension and mystery to it because you're not sure exactly what's going on, but you know that it's not good. So for me, yeah, I was, I, I guess I do, I guess I was expecting a little bit more tradition to happen. Horror. No, not necessarily, because I'm fine with like the slower burn stuff, but I just wanted. Just with the landscape and everything going on, I was expecting a little bit more throughout. Because we get a majority of everything toward the end. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we get the people jumping off the cliff at the beginning. And that scene, too, was a little bit frustrating for me because it seems like that's the typical ritual spot. 
but there's no blood stain on any of the rocks. And you would think that if that's where people are typically jumping off, and I guess we don't know if that's where they're always going, but it seems like they had a pretty good routine set up, that those rocks would be discolored in some way. I mean, it also could be that they, they clean things. And yeah. You never know what they're actually, like what the leftover parts of the ritual are. That's true. But you know that the way that things are visualized, the way that things are visualized and the way that they're presented all the purpose. And so we go through the process of picking the May Queen, and we're going through this dance, and they're trying to keep Danny's like Danny like focused on what's going on and trying to keep her away from the other process that go that coincides with this. As people are dispatched from their community, there have to be replacements that are born. So we have a a new baby already, and that's a replacement for the woman who has already passed away. Uh, so they're trying to replace the man. And during that process, this woman has been trying to convince Christian through pagan ritual stylings uh, to sleep with her and try to bear a child. And so they go through this whole process and they like they lead her away as the May Queen after she wins this dance competition, all done completely on drugs. They have a little dinner. They lead her away and they uh, convince Christian to sleep with this younger woman. This is a crazy scene because he's surrounded by at least 10 I'd women. I'd say it's closer to 15. And like, standing in like the semicircle around her while she's laying down to get bedded. And yeah, they just all sit and hold hands and, and watch them have sex. More than that, like some of them like jump in and like like are like holding their hands. Yeah, one lady starts to like push, push on, on Christian's his, ass yeah. <laughs> to help him thrust in. It was crazy. I was not expecting that. Yeah. And so during the middle of that ritualized ceremony, Danny comes back from blessing the crops. And so she hears them doing these like ancestral chants that are now obviously a a sign of like sex. That's what they that's what those chants mean. And they've been doing similar chants like throughout the entire movie. Like I said, it's the it's foreshadowing, it's the way that things are placed. And that's that's where all the bread and butter is from this, is that like they everything that you see towards the end is all foreshadowed and touched on in earlier sections. They show a bear in a cage and that bear in a cage ends up being one of the things they use in the ritual uh, at the very end. And so uh, they tell Danny to not look at what's going on in there, that there's only pain in that room. And so she of course peels away and she looks into the keyhole and she sees them having sex and she's obviously distraught about it. You know, she has been, She's been on the fence about how she feels about Christian for almost the entirety of the movie. Right. Because he's an asshole. He sucks. He's not good to his friends, and he's not good to her. Uh, and it's, it's it's obvious. Like, even, like, even somebody like Mark, who doesn't really care about her, is at least, like, more real to her than the way that Christian behaves. And so she sees this, and she's distraught, and she and and the community shows her what they're truly capable of. And it's, it was one of them. I think it had some levity to it. Like they, like they show her in her, in her anguish and they show her upset and they show her screaming and crying, but they show how, how good this community is about joining in and about like showing how much they care. And I think that that's part of the tipping point of her making her decision as to, whether or not she really wants to be a part of this community or not. Them huddled all around her 
everyone is screaming and crying and following her lead and is like totally all about her in that moment. She's never felt that way. You know, she, at this point, she's lost all of her family and she's losing the one last tie that she had to regular societal life in Christian because she doesn't, she's been cheated on. She doesn't want that. She doesn't want that infidelity. Mm. Losing him is, is her last bit of family. That's all she's got. Right. And so now she has this May queen, like you were saying, it is now worshiped and they are sure it's a community, but they're essentially just a giant family. Yes. And And she is a part of that. Yeah. And so I think it's kind of in a way kind of beautiful that she is accepted into this well, crazy group, yeah, still accepted and welcomed, and they want her to be a part of this community while not everybody gets accepted, yes, obviously, because we get to see a lot of people get murderized i mean none of the none of the new people make it except for her this ritual at the end, what did you make of that because they're in this big temple, and it's bright yellow, which I thought had to mean something, and I think that this movie is gonna require multiple viewings to really pull apart all the symbolism and what stuff represents. Why, why yellow temple? Like, what does that mean? I think that yellow represents the sun representing fire. I think that that's, that's a, that's my base level single view notion, but the amount of things that, that lead back to that point are ridiculous. Uh, they have the, the bear. And so the bear ends up being the focal point, the beast, that they vanquish during this process to help protect their crops and protect their family. Uh, and that is the person who is mm. chosen by the May Queen is the bear. And so she ends up choosing Christian. And so Christian is, after seeing some pretty gruesome things, uh, we find out that the majority of the sacrifices are not people directly from their commune. The We have the two people who committed suicide. They are, they are dressed and they are set in a certain way to be part of their sacrifice. And I want to say the sacrifice is nine. And the nine points that are inside of the building that are set up in ritual style are under hay. And the hay makes out the sequence that the tables and chairs make from the very first feast. And so the way that they have everything set up, it all is in ritual format it's all in a way where the points equal out to nine, which gives you your total of sacrifices. So you have all of the people who were sacrificed during their stay for either reacting poorly to the process or not being willing to be accepting of things. And then obviously the one chosen by the May Queen. And they end up filling in with two people from their community who are willing to sacrifice themselves because they either haven't found love or they, you know, they are doing what they can to help protect their community. And they're considered at that point to be, they're revered. They, you know, they will go down in history as somebody who's helped their community. And the amount of little pieces of symbolism within that one scene are crazy. And like I said, like you were saying before, it's something where, where there will need to be repeat viewings. I don't know if I, if I'll watch the entire movie, but I definitely do want to like sit down and dissect scenes. And I think once it comes out, I you know, I, if they do end up releasing that NC-17 cut, I want to see that. Uh, and I do want to, like I said, break down some of these scenes and see if I can figure out where all the symbolism is at. Well, I think one of the things that we mentioned off air, too, or well, you mentioned, is that the her f- friend, is it William? Yeah. He mentions, oh, my parents, I understand what you're going through because my parents died in a fire when I was younger. And they were people that... that I believe to believe. Yeah. Yeah. I think 
I believe, sacrificed themselves. Which, again, plays into the idea that almost everything is foreshadowed in this yes. movie, which is wild. Yeah, I mean, like I said, they tell you things ahead of time, and you you get to watch those things unfold. And I think that there are going to be some people who are going to be turned off by the fact that they so heavily foreshadow things. And I think that those things are earned, and I think that they set them up very well. I think that this is going to be a hard movie to judge. Artistically, it's one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, there's there's no competing with that fact. I love the storyline. I love what they chose to do with the characters. I I do think that they threw some small tropes in, but I think that they covered them well. I think that having, like, the shitty boyfriend and having a final girl, I think that those things are, in, the, in and of themselves, horror tropes. But I also do feel like they did them in ways that I've never seen before. And I really enjoyed that. Like I said, I think that her making her decisions and this being more about her going through her stages of grief and finally finding her community and the people that really care about her, I I thought that was beautiful. Like I said, in as gruesome as this movie was, I mean, you got to see people with their lungs outside of their bodies but still being alive. You got to see people smashed on rocks. You got to see uh, people's mask, you know, faces used as masks. Like... There are all kinds of gruesome things that they showed, and they didn't. They they kept them few and far between. Like I said, the movie was almost two and a half hours long, and they chew on every scene, and I really enjoyed it. I, I mean, I don't think this movie is going to be for everyone. I think there are going to be people who will be turned off by the foreshadowing. I think they're going to be like, "Oh, this movie was predictable." I was like, "That's not the point, though." The movie's not. It's not about. Some a mystery or something where you have to unpack it or unfold it. It's something where. You need to sit back and allow the things to hit you. This and, is definitely about the journey. Yeah, I mean, if you go in knowing that you're getting a slow burn horror movie that has pagan ties to it or whatever you want to call it, then you, you know you know what to expect. Yes. If you've seen Wicker Man, you kind of know what to expect. You know that the payoff is going to be at the end. And so it's not really about the predictability. And I think what Asher sets up is that like you were saying, the foreshadowing, so stuff's not out of left field. I mean, there's more stuff that we probably didn't even realize or touch on that is foreshadowed. And that's, I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that makes it predictable. I think that's good storytelling. Yes. So then when stuff comes up, it's not like, wait, where the fuck did that come from? Oh, wait, that was a part of this the whole time. And so, I I mean, I don't have a problem with that at all. And I don't think that it should be a problem. I think that that, like I said, that's good filmmaking. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, overall, yeah, it's it's gorgeous. It was a good time, and I would definitely watch it again. I I I, I will say that I was expecting it to be a little bit scarier, I guess, because mm. Hereditary, although a slower burn, has some terrifying moments where, like, okay, this is a scary movie. Whereas with Midsummer, it's still a horror movie, but not a scary horror movie. Yes. And I think that it's more about how gruesome things are and the tension that it builds. Sometimes that tension works out into comedic moments. Like, they're, like, as tense as it is, the moment when Mark pees on the ancestral tree and, like, they're yelling and screaming at him about how he's terrible and to put his disgusting dick away and everything. I felt like those things were just as, as terrifying as they were funny. Like the like him saying that he had a disgusting dick and all that stuff. It was funny, but it was also like you were laughing out of nervous energy because you're like, oh shit, this is fucked. Like this is terrible. And like you don't know what's gonna happen next. Take something mundane, like taking piss. Yeah. And heightens it. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, this is more than that. 
this is elevated. Yes. And I think that, yeah, like you were saying, it builds that tension. But I want to go back to what you said about this movie being gruesome. There's a scene where somebody has their lungs taken out from their back side and it's hanging and they're still alive. And so you get to see the lungs out on display almost like wings. Yes. And still breathing. Yeah, expanding and and contracting. Disgusting. Yes. But tight. (laughs) The effects that they use, the practical effects in this are fucking incredible. I mean, you get to see a bear being dissected, which, aw, sad. But still, super cool. Like, the way that they do everything, like I said, it all looks super realistic. If it hadn't been shot in such a beautiful way, it would be hard to say that this wasn't a really, really, really gruesome documentary. Because you could see something like this existing. And, I mean, that's definitely something they could have done, like, with Cannibal Holocaust or something like Green Inferno, where it was, like, that documentary style where people thought it was real. Or even Texas. I think people thought yes, Texas yes. Chainsaw was real. At that would have been where I would have gone with the reference. But there's one last thing that I want to touch on before we move on to uh, lighter fare, <laughs> and that is symbolism of just the society in general. While there are men present and men are there, it does seem like the majority of the rituals and the majority of like the way things are led are all led from the perspective of women, which I thought was very well done. Like I said, the, the person who is being sacrificed is the man and the person who is, who is making the sacrifice, choosing the person who is to be sacrificed is the queen, the, you know, the may queen. And I think that like I said, the symbolisms of feminism are definitely there. I'm not going to dive 100% into it because I don't know as much. But I definitely do think that that is a refreshing change of pace, especially considering it's in the horror genre, where, you know, something like the final girl girl trope is typically associated with something that's not of feminism. It's not meant to be something that uplifts women, which, like I said, we've had this we've had this discussion before. You can check out our previous episode if you want to get our more in-depth thoughts about how we personally feel about it. But I definitely like that, like I said, this whole entire commune seems to be led by women. Right. Even to the extent where the temple that they end up bringing down at the end is phallic shaped, mm-hmm. more or less. You know what I mean? And like, okay, down with that. Yes. <laughs> smashing, now, like literally smashing and burning the patriarchy in front of our eyes. Now let's have <laughs> like the rebirth yes. of what that means. And so, yeah, I think a case can be made that this is, has that feminist ties to it throughout the whole movie. Like I said, and that's definitely something that I appreciate. I felt like the acting performances were all very, very good, especially the woman who plays Danny. I wasn't a fan of Christian. I don't know if that was that the was acting a, or if that was, that was the character or what, but he does a lot of weird moves. Um. But yeah, I mean, that that's that was a lengthy discussion, so let's, let's rate this bad boy and move on. All right, so we're going to rate this on hair pies. <laughs> <laughs> Ritualistic hair pies. I'm giving this a solid five. I thought it was incredible. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go four and a half, just because I was expecting a little bit more horror, or I guess scares, like Hereditary and in the beginning of Us, and and it, it it's very intense mm-hmm. and it's very horrific, but it's definitely not scary. And I guess that's more a little bit more what I wanted. Yeah. So for me, for me, four point five. But gorgeous movie. Yes. All around. Highly recommended. Definitely go see it. See it in theaters because it is where it is meant to be seen. All right, so we know that was a lengthy discussion, and we will do our best to cover all we can for Stranger Things. So this one might be a long one, so you're just going to have to strap in and join us for this ride. Yeah. 
Now, let's jump into our second course, and it is going to be Stranger Things 3, Episodes 3 and 4. Yeah, so uh, the episodes we're looking at are The Case of the Missing Lifeguard and The Sauna Test. I felt like this was where things picked up. 100% Because we get a... We get a lot of build up, a lot of like, where are they now type of like recap almost in what Dustin's been doing for the summer, what the other kids have been doing for the summer, what Steve's doing, what Nancy and Jonathan are doing, what Hopper and Joyce are doing. And we get introduced to a couple of new characters who are going to be bigger deals. And we get a lot more information about Billy. Things in this in the Billy storyline are the, the things that kind of kick off what ends up being the story throughout the remainder of the series. We end up seeing him drag another lifeguard down under the processing plant. That's where we end off on episode two. We kind of get to see some of the repercussions of that because Eleven is upset with Mike and by proxy Max is upset with Lucas. We get this scene where she's trying to figure out what they're doing. They go find them. During that process, they say a couple of really bad things like they weren't expecting. Eleven was thinking that they were going to be like all all like heartbroken about it, but they're like almost kind of talking shit. Not happy about the situation, obviously, but they're almost kind of like, oh, like girls are like that, you know, typical like kid shit. After that process, uh, they try to find Billy and this is when shit kind of hits the fan. So they find Billy with this girl tied up and... Billy sees her, is able to like discern that she is there. So things kind of kick off from there. Things get you know really tense. They're trying to figure out what ha- who this girl is, what happened to her. So they go off and they go do their own thing. So they're trying to figure out who the girl is and what happened to her because they think that she's in pain. We also get the, the splinter off of the other group trying to figure out what their motivation is at this point. What happens with the boys next? And we kind of touched on it in the last episode. Um, and I think that we should talk a little bit more about it too, is that Will and Mike and Luke is, are trying to have a day. Well, what Will wants is a day to play Dungeons and Dragons, a day without girls, a day without worrying about these relationships and just a day with the party, mm-hmm. you know? And this is where we really get to see the weight of the the growth from the transition from youth to adolescence right and and will just wants to play D. he just wants to sit and play with his friends like we got in the first two seasons most of the first one it just isn't happening yeah lucas and mike are so focused on what's going on with ellen max and eventually this this storyline escalates so will is like you know fuck it essentially i'm done i'm gonna leave i'm out of here you guys don't want to play D&D. I spent all this time making this campaign thing. Essentially, things are different, yeah. right? And so he goes to Castle Byers and is kind of freaking out and then leads himself to destroy it. Yeah. And to me, that was a symbol for, okay, our, our youth is over. We're not kids anymore. Now we're growing up. And so that part of our life is over. And it's kind of sad. It's very sad. And and he even mentions like, okay, well, where the fuck has Dustin been? You know? And so he has this realization that their party is falling apart. Yeah, that they're they're separating now. That they they've gone through this whole portion of time where they all have these other relationships that draw them away from things. Obviously, uh, Mike and Lucas have girlfriends, and that has pulled them faster into kind of that adolescent adolescent mindset. You know, they don't think like kids anymore. And 
uh, with Dustin. Dustin has a relationship with a friend who is out of high school. So like this person is a college age person and this is the person he spends most of his time with. And you can see that based on their interactions when, when he gets back from his trip and when he goes to see Steve, like they have a whole handshake worked out. Like you can see that connection. You can tell that he's putting so much value into that relationship because he feels like that's going to help him grow up. Even though I would say, you know, aside from will the most immature of the group is Dustin. Dustin is always the comedic relief. He's always the one who, I mean, it's the, the guys, I found the pudding kind of person. And he's trying to find his path to grow up too. And that's, I think Will is the only person who's clutching for that childhood still. And him destroying Castle Byers, ripping up his picture of him and the guys, like that sort of stuff is, like you said, him lamenting over, but finally coming to the realization of that, that oh, we're not kids anymore. I need to you know, pull up my bootstraps. I think part of it too is he's wanting to escape from the upside down shit. Because yeah. he doesn't tell anybody about his Willie Tingle. And <laughs> oh God. And and he just wants to ignore it. He wants to just go back to being kids. He doesn't want to remember what happened to him and all the shit that they had to deal with in the first two seasons. And so I think it has a lot to do with that too, where he's I just okay, whatever. Like, let's just play D D. Let's ignore it. Let's just be kids. And the boys the rest of the boys just aren't letting him do that and not letting him escape from it. So eventually he has to tell them what's going on and and he does and i'm really glad that he does because i want for me at this point i really want things to come together and we're just not getting that yet and i again i don't know if we do but i really hope we do because yeah. i really liked the way that season two was so connected and so cohesive with everybody's stories that's what's going on with them nancy and jonathan are continuing to investigate this rat business mm -hmm. and struggling with that and struggling at their jobs because nobody wants to take Nancy seriously because they're the men running the newspaper are all a bunch of assholes yeah. who, you know, men are the heads and these women are the secretaries or the errand, running the errands. And it's all very bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, that's what's going on there. And then Nan and Joyce and Hopper are go back to the lab, go back to Hawkins lab to yeah, see they're if trying to figure out what happened to Joyce's magnets. Right. Yeah. So then we're, you know, we're still getting the theme or the motif or whatever of the repulsion and the attraction. When on top of that, uh, we're getting like the overarching like character tropes of Joyce, which is that she's out there on the front lines investigating things. And that's, that's her character. Like, and you can tell when she's just kind of like, Eh, kind of going through the motions at the very, very beginning of the series. And then once the stuff happens with Will, things kind of kick off and she's, it shows like her an outlet to her curiosity. And I think that while the evidence is obviously there that something's going on, she also, it almost seems like she wants for there to be something going on too. Right. And, and obviously for us, we get to see outside of what's happening with them. So we know that something is going on. Yeah. And so you get some tension between her and Hopper because he doesn't necessarily believe what she's saying is accurate to any extent. And I don't think that it's necessarily that he doesn't believe necessarily. I think the biggest thing is that he doesn't want to. And we get, I think anyone does. We get a touch on that as well during a conversation that they have at the lab, basically, you know, that, that like, Oh, you don't think that I, I have been feeling these things that I don't like 
you know, I don't have like PTSD about this, that I don't have reactions to things and think, oh, well, that's got to be it again. It's got to be back. Basically saying that he's trying to put it out of his mind and that she is just like embracing it. Good thing she does, though. Yeah. Because... And, then, and then he's proved wrong by getting hit in the back of the head and getting his ass whooped by the Russian Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> Super Terminator vibes. Oh, yeah. Big time Terminator vibes. And so. I think it's in, in four where he goes and he beats up the mirror. Yeah. And then that scene is incredible. Very reminiscent of season one when he beats up that dude in the bar. Yeah. But uh, way more intense, a very elevated idea from season one where he, where he gets into that bar fight. Now he's just, fuck it. I'm the sheriff. Yeah. I'm wrecking house. I need to get what I need to get for this information because I know how quickly and how drastically things can go south. Yeah, the cigar cutter scene is incredible. I was like, fucking cut that finger off. <laughs> yep, I was ready. Um, so we have that storyline kind of unfolding. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do. And then with the other the other storylines, everybody seems to kind of come to the realization about what's happening all at once. Eleven and Max, in their uh, pursuit of trying to find the missing lifeguard, they do locate her. They try to find her, and they don't see her, but they see a bathtub full of ice. So they actually go to her house to try to investigate. And when they get there, they find Billy, and he's in a polo shirt, super dressed down as compared to his normal shtick where he's like the the hard rock dude. Like, he's not that at all. He looks like he's like full-blown sold out, you know, the pastel colors and everything. And the girl is there too, and they're like, we don't know what the hell you're talking about. And then as soon as they bounce, the two of them attack her parents and drag her down, or I mean, drag them down to basically be taken over. We get a little more of that process as well. Like we get to see them like actually like face hugged and kind of see what that does. And then we find out that her dad was in charge of the paper. Right. So then this is kind of our first glimpse that they're not exactly doppelgangers. They're more... Like the body snatched. Yes. And this is the first time we kind of get that idea. And they're sort of conscious zombies. I guess it kind of plays into the idea of like the Haitian zombie, mm-hmm. where they're more possessed slaves to an extent versus like the mindless brain eating zombies that Romero popularized. And so I kind of like that idea too, where it's like they're controlled and almost mindless to an extent because it's what the flayer, right? The mind flayer wants. Yeah. Well, and that's and it, we it's playing off of essentially what we got with Will in the previous season, where they have some autonomy over what they do, but for the most part, it's it's the mind flare is slowly but surely taking over their ability to function. So, you know, when the mind flare wants something, that's what the mind flare gets. So eventually, we get to episode four, which is the sauna test, and now. The boys group and the girls group are forced to come together because they need to figure out what's going on and they know something's up. So Will reveals, hey, I'm getting the feeling the Mind Flayer's back. And this is the first time we get an explanation of how that's possible. So it was released from Will in season two as the smoke. The L closes the gate. Before the gate closes, that entity that was inside of Will leaves remnants in Hawkins, actual Hawkins. Right side up, Hawkins. Yeah. And now that remnant is what's feeding and fueling the growth of 
the rat monster that it's becoming with all the guts and stuff forming into something else and then possessing people. Yeah. Essentially. And so they want to find Billy and track him down because they have a belief that it's him, that he's part of, he is what the mind flayer entered, which is accurate. And so they devise a plan to burn it out of him. And holy shit, is this scene intense? Yes. So they they put Billy in the sauna. He eventually freaks out and breaks out, which is gnarly. Yeah. And then has a battle with L, who up to this point we're like, yeah, whatever. L could take Billy. Yeah. And he is able to almost pretty much her. outpower her. Yeah. And so he's able to break out. And then during the time frame where she's trying to figure out what to do, she tries to stop him in his tracks on the ground which he's able to get past. And so he grabs her by the throat and we have Mike who jumps in and tries to stand up for her, swings a a pipe at him and that does almost nothing. And then he smashes Mike into the wall. And then during that time frame when he's about to basically destroy Mike, L picks him up off the ground where he can't get his footing to try to overpower it and then just throws him through the wall. And he's like, all right, I can't handle this by myself. Fuck this off. shit, I'm yeah. out. Yep, and just takes off. That scene is ridiculous, and it's the first time we've ever seen anybody really stand up to to L's power. And we also get to see some of Max's emotional ties to Billy. Yeah, which I thought was nice because we don't get a lot of that between them. It always seems like they kind of hate each other, mm-hmm. even though technically they are family. And she, I think she whispers to herself, like, "Please don't be him." Yeah. And then he tries to like plead with her. Yeah. Come on, Max, how could you do this to me or something like that? You know what I mean? And tries to appeal to that side of her. I thought that was cool. And I I liked seeing that because they are more than just people that share a house. They are family and she still believes that. I like that she is still hopeful. In that episode we also get uh Nancy and and uh Jonathan. Yeah, they get fired. Yeah, they get fired. And so Nancy's very upset. And then, you know, again, the attraction, the repulsion. So now her and Jonathan are kind of at odds. and Because Jonathan's upset because he feels like his career has been ruined. Right. And then Nancy goes and talks to her mom. And there's this feminist speech that she has or discussion that she has about, you know, keep going. Don't let anyone bring you down and be a strong woman, essentially. And it's actually a pretty beautiful scene. Yes. And it makes you... I mean, they've done a lot more with Nancy's mom in this season, and I like that because all the parent figures outside of Joyce and now Hopper all kind of suck. Yeah. And I liked seeing them have another strong character because Will – or not Will. Mike and Nancy aren't bad kids. No, they're not. And considering how big a piece of shit Ted is, (laughs) it's like, oh, okay, now we can see where they get it from, Mm -hmm. where they get – the good qualities to their personalities from even, it. I mean, even Nancy mentions it. Mrs. Wheeler says, I don't know where you got these qualities from, but you should pursue them. And she's like, oh, I got them from you. Like, I know that for sure. A little cheesy. Yeah, but it's like, it's still... It's, very 80s. <laughs> and it also shows that Nancy appreciates her mom. While they're, that relationship have had rocky moments, it definitely isn't in that place now. And now that she's out in the world trying to figure out what she wants to do with her life, that she knows that that relationship is going to be important for her. And so she keeps digging. And so she goes and sees the old lady who originally told them about the rats. Mm-hmm. And she's in the hospital. During the sauna test. And starts freaking out. Because Nancy called the cops to get them there because she was eating fertilizer. So they take her away. 
And that's part of the reason they got fired. So anyway, she's at the hospital during the sauna test, and this old woman starts to convulse, essentially, right? And her same thing is happening with Billy. Her like veins start to turn black and all this other crazy stuff. It's pretty intense. So then yeah. that's when she knows something's going on. And so that's I think that's where that storyline ends for this episode yeah. with them. With Nancy's character. And Hopper and Joyce get some information about what's going on. So there, there are Russians in town. Mm-hmm. So we get we get that confirmed. And we get their locations. Could be at any one of these undisclosed houses that used to be owned but that were forced out by the mayor so that he could give the land to the Russians. And then what's going on with Dustin and Steve and Robin is they decode the message that Dustin intercepted through Cerebro. I guess it's it's Robin, basically, that decodes it or translates it and then decodes it. And she's able to figure out what that message means, and it's directly connected to Starcourt. Yeah, so they're trying to figure out where where in the mall they're actually finding things. So uh, there's this cute little moment where they try to be spies, and they're out like looking around trying to see if they can find this person. And they actually... so. They fall at first. They follow somebody who is a Pilates teacher. Hilarious, <laughs> super funny. Uh, Robin ends up locating uh, somebody who has some of the symbolism, the the silver cat, and so they start following things, and they end up getting to this like area in the dock, and they there are armed guards, like like full blown like machine gun armed guards guarding this place. So they end up staking it out for a little while, um, and then during the process. Um, they figure out, they try to figure out a way to basically get in there without like getting into a bunch of trouble or end up getting shot. The process of them actually finding out where they're going and trying to get in, a lot of that takes place in four uh, when they uh, acquire Erica. And great addition. One of the funniest scenes in the entire entire episode. Right. So this is Lucas's little sister that we got to see in uh, briefly two. in two, uh, season two. Yeah, And then, again, briefly, throughout this season, we get little bits of her, little bits of her. She's kind of a, she's kind of a jerk. But in, like, the best and yeah. most entertaining She way. just wants to sample all the ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> and then when she gives him that speech about... You can't spell America without Erica. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my god. That goodness. whole scene is fantastic, where she's like, we live in a capitalist country. <laughs> all that shit. I was like, dude, you're hilarious, and you're probably the smartest person at that table. Yeah. Which was great. So they recruit her. She gets them into this room with these armed guards and it ends up being an elevator shaft that takes them down. That's where we end. Yeah. And it's wild. It's a wild ride. So these two episodes, man, like you were saying, one and two, okay, you know, it's previously on Stranger Things, essentially, or like, this is what's been going on. This Mm -hmm. is our introduction to where things have been and since there is a bit of a time shift, it's just kind of getting us familiarized again and now this is where things start punching you. Yeah. And it's intense, dude. It really picks up. And, and I loved it. And you can start to see where some of these storylines are going to start to come together. And I said, I, I, at this point was super stoked about where it was going. Um, and it's, it was a, a wild ride. Like I said, those two episodes, like I said, are some of the most exciting in this season and they were super enjoyable. Like I said, and it really sets off the story in a, in a, an interesting direction. Really hope that things continue. To come together for us. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad that Will's aware. Like, hey, our party is splitting apart. Where is everybody? Where is Dustin? So I'm hoping that kind of leads into let's come together. Let's see what they're doing. Because all of these things are very connected. Yes. And I think that they haven't quite realized that yet. Right. And and I'm, I'm wondering if the Russians opening the gate 
is what's pushing the mind flayer to get more people or helping him attain more people. So I guess you'll have to watch some more episodes to find <laughs> out. It's tough. I, I want to, and I don't want to part of it is I just don't want it to be over. Yeah. And from what I keep hearing is the duffers are going to do a four and then that might be it. Yeah. A four, maybe a five. So one thing that uh, someone had told me about that he read is that they talked about four to finish up the strange aspect of the story. Mm -hmm. And then if they did do a five, it might be something of like the afterlife or, you know, how they react and how their lives are dealing with everything that's happened in the last few years. Yeah. I kind of like the idea. I will say, I don't think that that's going to be for everybody. If that's in the direction it ends up going, because a lot of people tune in for the stranger stuff and for the creepy and the scary and the weird stuff going on. That's definitely part of what makes the show so great. Yeah. But then at the same time, people like us who are just very big fans of these characters, I feel like would welcome something like that. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't need the creepy stuff to happen necessarily. I would like to see what's going on with, with the party. Yeah. Where, where their lives end up. I'm still hoping that we get a little bit more from the other numbered kids and maybe even a little bit more from, was it, Brenner. Overall, I'm very pleased so far. I definitely agree with that. A little disjointed, yes, in comparison to season two. But somebody I talked to today that was like, dude, I like this one even more than I like season two. Mm -hmm. And for them to get that kind of reaction where it's either you like it as much or you like it more, it's fantastic for a TV show from season to season because that's not typically the case. Usually things start to see a decline at some point. And I think that's kind of why they don't want to do more than what they've set out to do because they don't want to see, they don't want to overstay their welcome. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, I definitely appreciate that. Like I, if there's not a story to tell, I I don't want anymore. Don't force it. But like I said, as of right now, it still feels like they know what they're doing and where they want to take things. Like I said, as long as they have a place to go, I'm fine with that. Same. And you can tell that them taking a, a step back and not trying to rush it out for last Halloween and letting them get what they needed to corrected for the summer it was a good choice because everything's working yeah and it makes a lot of sense and it's themed toward this idea of summer too all right so that's gonna wrap it up as far as uh all of the previously watched content is concerned so let's hop into our watch list patrick what is it where are you going i've got to return some videotapes obviously you're going to need to check out episodes five and six if you haven't already watched everything like me. Uh, so episodes five and six of Stranger Things 3, definitely a must. Also, um, we're going to be talking about the End of the Dark series Culture Shock, um, which was released in July. We're going to be talking about that as kind of like the secondary secondary deal for this time around. Watch that. Look forward to that. If you've seen any of the movies in that End of the Dark series that's on Hulu, then let us know what you thought. Um, I've seen most of them. I think I've missed the last two. So some stuff on the watch list for me might be a little out of left field. And I know I mentioned it before, but I've been watching Psych. <laughs> and there's an episode of Psych that's fairly, very heavily themed as The Shining. Mm -hmm. And that one's pretty cool. So that one's going to be Psych Season 6, and it's Episode 11. It's called Here's Lassie. <laughs> <laughs> And it's great, and it's 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 got that horror comedy feel to it, more along the lines of something like Shaun of the Dead. And then also, I want to say that so far, I mean, I haven't finished the season, but I would recommend season three of Riverdale. 
Mm. I've been watching it, and the first two were all right, but this one is very heavily based around what they call goblins and gargoyles, I think. Basically Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. But it's this intense game that's branched out from just playing to being the life of the town almost. Mm. Super weird. And it goes in a very dark direction. And you can kind of see the connections that eventually would have gone to Sabrina. Because I think they were both supposed to be on the CW at some point together. I think they still may end up having a connection, but I haven't watched any of Riverdale. Um, that it's weird. It's very like a it's like a diet Twin Peaks almost. You can see where that ties into that something like that. But then eventually, it's just weird, and it does have a lot of the teen drama, which isn't great. But the creepy aspects of the show, I think, are are pretty cool. That is going to wrap it up this week. That was a long episode. So those of you that tuned in and stuck with us, thank you so much for doing that. I know it's a long one. And, hey, that's a lot of good content for you. So can't complain too much, right? (laughs) So, again, please don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe. The more you guys do that, the more we can keep this bad boy going. And we're having a blast doing it. We hope that you're having a blast listening. If you want to reach out to us, then you can do that on our website. That's going to be porcelainpeak.com. You can also shoot us an email at porcelainpeak at gmail.com or you can hit us up on our social platforms. That's going to be at porcelainpeak on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And again, as we mentioned, we are on PodCoin. Some of the other platforms that we're on are Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, Spotify, Stitcher. Tune in a little bit on SoundCloud. But if you want to earn some money, then check out that PodCoin. And again, if you want the bonus coin, it's going to be porcelain for our code and as always thank you so much for listening keep it strange a hyperforge alpha network production